ಪ್ರಾಂಜಲಿ who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of body through medicine so in the last class we almost concluded for the time being our discussion on the special uh this section of yoga patanjali yoga shastra which is known as ishwara pranidhana that before entering into the detailed steps of yoga the ashta eight steps it will come in gradual course first patanjali introduces the subject of ishwara pranidhana and indicates that it is such a noble path where just by having a special type of devotion to ishwar to special type of devotion to god what's the special type of devotion it doesn't entail that sitting down and meditating on the form of god and taking its taking his name it actually entails a particular type of attitude which is very suitable in our day to day life especially with those who are extremely busy with the immediate responsibilities of life the what is the attitude that always to have that feeling that in that the lord the ishwara is there in in the heart of my hearts he has placed me in a particular situation of life so he knows best that why he has kept me in this situation and he is taking me through this course to enable me to get trained in the spiritual evolution of my life he is just helping me by keeping me in this position i neither seek nor nor do i avoid the responsibility whatever responsibility in which i am placed i take it to be something which is ordained by the divine and i feel his presence in my life and i continue with my actions without hankering for the results so the presence of the divine accepting the fact that he has kept me in the present situation of life for reasons well known to him i don't question it and neither i expect results for my actions after it is done i offer it to the divine it's good or bad whatever it is i offer it to the divine so this particular attitude which actually speaks of sharanagati this total resignation to the will of the divine is an it is more of an attitude than a particular specific practice which if we can adopt in our life if we can become an adept in it by adopting it we become gradually adept in it then what happens patanjali says that we need not have to follow the steps consciously it just happens automatically all the steps in yoga are spontaneously followed taking us to the ultimate realization and not only that the various hindrances that come on the way of our spiritual journey we find that they also are getting obliterated they fall off in the 30th and the 31st sutra which we were studying for the last two classes which we saw where we saw that that all the hindrances which come on the way of our spiritual journey gets obliterated by ishwara pranidhana 
So how it happens that we were studying that it results in a broadened perspective. The moment you are aware of the presence of the divine in your life, you're relating to an another dimension of your existence, which is not something which is palpably visible in this sensate world, but it is. It is, to the, it is a fact of life to which I am relating. And once I start relating to that level of awareness, by broadening our perspective, what we find that the Ishwara, the concept of Ishwara for which he stands, all those concepts are getting internalized. As we studied that who is Ishwara? His Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashay Apparamrishta. That he's such a being, he's such a unique Purusha who is never afflicted by any of the happenings of this phenomenal existence. He is always beyond that. He transcends that. He's just a witness. So if these godly qualities, I cannot become Ishwar, but the Ishwaratva, which is also inherent in me, which is potentially lying hidden in me, by internalizing the concept of Ishwara, by feeling his presence gradually. Those are the values which I find is getting internalized. In my life also I find that the afflictions are no more disturbing me. I'm not getting afflicted intensely as I used to. They're getting attenuated. They're getting, their strength is getting reduced. That's the one thing which happens. And another thing happens is that my mind gradually, by constantly thinking of Ishwara, becomes concentrated. The bahuvritti, the vagaries of the mind, they get attenuated, streamlined, and the mind somehow follows that one line of thought. Because I've developed the love for Ishwara. Just the way the mother need not have to meditate on the child. The love forces him to think of the child always, whatever she may be doing. So similarly, without any specific practice, I find that the mind is gradually transforming from Vahu Vritti to Eka Vritti. From the vagaries, it is getting fixed to the thought of the divine. So these are the two main factors, two main things which follows Ishwara Pranidhana. The first is you go beyond the glaciers you find the afflictions, the stress, the obsessions are falling off from your life and your mind is becoming one-pointed. And these are the two factors which we find that in turn helps in getting rid of all the hindrances that come in the way of, you know, of our spiritual journey. So just by broadening our perspective, what happens, the Vyadhi, as we told that the, as the stress factor falls off, the obsessions obsessions falls off, all the vyadhi, all the diseases at last are related to these two factors, nothing else, the obsessions and the stress. If we can get rid of these two, you'll find that we start enjoying health. But we should always remember it is not to enjoy health that I am practicing Ishwara Pradhidhara. My goal is spiritual realization. But for that, I need a healthy body. So that's why it's just a means, it's not the end. Sometimes nowadays the yoga is taken as the end itself before enjoying good health. No, that's not the be all and end all of existence. However we take care of our health, life is going to end up with jara vyadhi mrityu. That's the basic factor of life. They will come. I cannot avoid them, but what I'm doing, I'm improving the quality of life. Instead of just constantly suffering with disease, as long as I live, I live a, in a healthy body with a healthy mind so that I can pursue my spiritual journey. If I'm sick, my spiritual journey gets stagnated. So that's why that Vyadi, to get rid of the Vyadi is important. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a very nice example that we were indicating in one of the class. 
in kavira in this in ayurveda in ayurveda there is a particular type of medicine which is called makaradhvaja now various ingredients are put in a bottle they are all in a liquid form and if this bottle is kept for some time and the liquid all the ingredients which are in the liquid form takes some time to get crystallized and solidified now once it is crystallized and solidified to get the medicine as it is inside a bottle there is no other way than to break the bottle so sri ramakrishna is saying that the bottle is needed as long as the crystallization hasn't effectualized it is yet to happen until then the body this body which is that the glass bottle that is required after that it may break off once the crystallization has happened then there is no need so now you will understand that why we should take care of our health it has some this body has the purpose of taking us to the apex of our spiritual journey so that's why this vyadi has to be taken care of and we found with a broadened perspective what happens dukkha dormanasya all those things that misery the inescapable trauma in life we are bound to face this inescapable trauma and the resulting depression dejection they all start getting obliterated i transcend them by being aware of the presence of the divine how it happens in the last class we were saying with a broadened perspective that all the problems become something a depressing factor only when i think it is all engulfing it is something permanent it is something which is going to engulf my entire entity then they become a matter of severe depression but if i know it is just a passing phase it cannot touch the eternal spirit which is within the eternal soul which is within me which is always in association with the divine then all the problems become something temporary it becomes something local and they cannot affect me they cannot just overshadow my existence and that's how i can get rid of dukkha dormanasya and the bhranti darshana all those things starts falling off that the delusion that uh, that uh, in which we have in our spiritual journey all those things start falling off with our broadened perspective of the awareness of the divine and with the ekatanata with the one pointedness of the mind with the constant presence of the divine with the constant awareness of the presence of the divine stiana the restlessness falls off as we were this indicating in the last class the restlessness falls off and along with that the doubt that nothing is happening in my spiritual journey that obliterates motivation comes and then you will find that you are getting more and more established in your spiritual journey so that uh, your non cessation from the sunset entanglements of the world that you find there is a cessation now there is a way to stop it avirati happens there is a virati there is an interruption not only interruption you find that you can now attain to particular stages states of spiritual evolution at the beginning you may fall off and then gradually you find you are getting more and more established that alabdha bhumikatva which we spoke of we though we attain we fall off a time comes when we find that we don't fall off anymore we get more and more established to that state and that's how by ishvara pranidhana spontaneously automatically all the hindrances starts getting obliterated so now as in the conclusion now we will share the screen for the 32nd sutra which concludes this portion of ishvara pranidhana so that uh, we will share the screen for the sutra and then continue with our discussion on it so what's the 32nd sutra speaking tat pratishedham ek tatva abhyasa 
says for the stoppage of all the distractions for the stoppage of all the hindrances we have to practice the awareness of that single principle tat pratishedam ekatattva abhyasa ekatattva that single principle awareness of it has to be practiced now very interesting we will find that there are various commentaries on these sutras so vachaspati mishra one of the commentators refers to this single principle as ishwar but there are some other commentaries who say it may be any other gross principle even if it can be a flower like if i can ekatattva just like meditate on the flower and just as my mind gets concentrated on that the obliterate all the hindrances falls off there are some commentators who say that ekatattva can be anything but it seems that the sutra as it is succeeding the discussion on the ishwara pranidhana says ekatattva is actually ishwara why just by meditating on the flower you cannot get rid of dukkha you cannot get rid of dormanasya the misery when you are when you are in some inescapable trauma from where the dejection has ensued just by meditating on flower your mind may be calmed down a little but in no way you are relating to some higher awareness the divine awareness you are not relating and that doesn't help you to get rid of dukkha dormanasya vyadhi i cannot get rid so that ishwara must be that ekatattva so for ishwara alone can enable us to relate to another dimension of our existence and thus overcome all hindrances mere meditation on the single principle may help in calming our minds but its effect cannot be all encompassing so that ekatattva which has been spoken of as a conclusion of the sutras which deals with the ishwara pranidhana the 32nd sutra is just concluding by saying that therefore tat pratishadam to get rid of all the hindrances practice that ekatattva the ishwara tattva which has been spoken of try to keep the mind on that so with this the section on ishwara pranidhana concludes now the yoga sutra as we were saying that there are various steps to yoga at last in the spiritual journey i have to realize the spiritual entity which is within me the purusha which is totally bereft of its association with the prakriti in no way it is bound by the nature it is free from nature we have to realize that the kaivalya state for that the journey has to start with the cleansing of the mind now quite a few sutras will start with the preliminary practice of cleansing the mind how we can calm the mind we just cannot just think that meditation is good for yoga so immediately i sit for meditation and i my mind will get concentration it can never happen it takes some it needs some preparation to really calm down the mind so that the meditation may become effective so now the sutra the next sutra which we are going to study that will speak of some basic attitudes which we must cultivate to cleanse and calm our minds so let us go to the sutra and then we will uh, continue with our discussion so it is a very very important sutra even in the uh, buddhas in the, the buddhists they resort to this practice and they call this practice as brahma vihara just by this practice even if you cannot even you may have not reached the highest state of spiritual realization just by this mere practice you can attain some high loka from where there is no return you can continue your spiritual journey in that subtle body till you get the ultimate liberation even the buddhists believe in that so what are these attitudes which has to be practiced to calm down the mind to start our spiritual journey so that sutra let us now
मैत्री करुणा मुदित उपेक्षाना सुख दुख पुण्य अपुण्य विषयाना भावनातः चित्त प्रसादनम मैत्री मीन्स फ्रेंडशिप एमिटी करुणा कंपैशन मुदित मुदित मीन्स गुडविल इफ समन इज डूइंग समथिंग गुड यू शुड हैव गुडविल फॉर दैट पर्सन उपेक्षा इनडिफरेंस दीज आर द फोर एटीट्यूड विच हैज बीन स्पोकन ऑफ फ्रेंडशिप कंपैशन गुडविल इनडिफरेंस दिस फोर टाइप्स ऑफ एटीट्यूड वी हैव टू प्रैक्टिस इन फोर टाइप ऑफ सिचुएशंस What are those four situations? Sukha, dukha, punya, apunya. Happiness, misery, holiness, unholiness. So, what you have to relate this with the maitri? We have to practice whenever we see sukha, wherever we see happiness, there we should relate to that happiness with friendship, amity. Karuna has to be related with dukha, wherever we see sorrow. misery we have to relate that situation the persons who are in abject misery we should relate with compassion punya wherever i see holiness i should have goodwill i should have respect goodwill for all the holiness all anything which i see is holy any person holy i should have respect for such person i should have respect for such uh events where all are uh, together doing some satsang practicing holiness i should have respect for that upeksha means indifference for apunya if i see any anyone doing some sinful act i should be indifferent so if i can practice this four type of attitudes in this four type of situations i will find that is the best way of calming down the mind that throughout the day when i am busy with my activities i will be facing the situation this situation sukha dukha punya punya i will have to encounter when i am encountering what should be my attitude so that instead of disturbing my mind i keep my mind calm my meditation needs some preparation throughout the day by having this attitude for this varied situations if i can practice that then when i sit for meditation i find my meditation is becoming fruitful or you may say what's the uh, greatness in such practice of course when my near and dear ones are happy i also feel happy i relate with amity with friendship i also try to share their joy so what's the speciality about it so actually what it is speaking is not just your near and dear ones what happens when i really find my neighbor with whom i am not much related or my enemy an abject enemy is in happiness i will find a type of rancoring jealousy is growing in me it doesn't give me happiness and my enemy enemy is enjoying something i sometimes blame god that such a person who has done so many misdeeds how can he enjoy the life in such a way if the karma theory of karma is true he is supposed to suffer and all those reasonings go on behind which actually there is a type of jealousy so here that the way i feel the amity friendship for my relative for my near and dear one the same attitude has to be practiced for the one who is not related to me or who may be my enemy that is has been spoken of as maitri for sukha karuna for dukha yes again the same thing when it is my own near and dear one they are suffering i feel compassion but what about the one with whom i am not related and especially the one who is enemical towards me then i find a type of cruel joy is as is developing within me what's that the state for that he deserves it he was there that he has really got the result of his all bad actions immediately we try start 
relating to that incidence with that type of cruel joy. So the karuna for any dukkha, even if it's my enemy, I should have that compassion. I will have to immediately be aware of my feeling within. No one can see it in the world. Toward the, to the world, I may appear to be a very nice person, but what's going on within me that I know. And there, my duty is to take care of all those type of feelings which we are developing in this type of situations. Mudita for Punya. You may say yes, for the any holy person we have respect. But throughout the world you will find it's only the religious organization, the sect to which you belong or to which I belong. If any person is holy, if any occasion is where holiness is practiced, we have reverence. But whenever it moment, it's not my denomination. It's not my organization. It's not my faith. Immediately that whenever I see holiness within me, the mind will react by saying, by thinking, oh, it is all hypocrisy. It's just an outward show. That what they don't mean, what they are, uh, they, they really try to show. They're just showing, but they don't mean that. So we will find that these all are the attitudes by default it happens. So here, mudita for punya. Whenever I see holiness, immediately I should relate with respect. It's a very important practice. Uh, in India, I was uh, there for the students for a long time. And one question now and then the students used to say that being, uh, you know, the students of Ramakrishna mission, we always used to insist that you should show respect to the elders, to the monks. And now the question was, sometimes some monks uh, as guest swamis used to come, we used to insist that go and offer your pranams your respect to him. The students, as you know, they're that they always try to rationalize. So the common question was, why should I offer my pronouns to a person who I don't know? Just because he's wearing a particular type of dress, have I to show him a respect? So that was the question which we had to encounter again and again. And we used to say that every interest that it's not, there's no need to know what the person is. In India, for long, for ages, the tradition was that to show respect to the one who has renounced, who is wearing a particular type of cloth. Why? That cloth doesn't entail that he's a very holy man. Maybe he's just wearing the garb, but he's a hypocrite. Then why should I show respect? So here, mudita punya, why? The moment, the one who can show respect, irrespective of the fact whether he knows that person or not, that seeing a geruva clad sannyasing passing through the street, if it so happens, without knowing him, you see that a respect is coming from within. Know it for certain that you are very fortunate. Why? That, that, that whoever may be that person, irrespective of his character, the outward garb has immediately evoked the sense of renunciation within you. When you are bowing down, you are not bowing down to that person. You are actually bowing down to the concept of renunciation. That you have a reverence for that. That for spiritual, for spiritual evolution, renunciation is something which is must that person immediately evoked that sense of renunciation in you. Just the way seeing the national flag evokes the patriotism in you. The same way, just that dress has evoked the ideal of renunciation in you and you're bowing down to your own ideal. So what happens? The moment you bow down, the moment you show reverence, you are culturing the concept the subtle concept, the sublime concept of renunciation, that person in no way comes to the picture. 
and even if the person comes to the picture comes in a very positive way how the the one to whom you are showing respect immediately he also gets aware of the fact that why he is showing me respect because i represent something so i should be up to the mark that remind that reminds him that reminds that person the moment you are bowing down to him that person also reminded see the world shows you respect because you are supposed to be up to certain ideal which you are representing by wearing a particular type of cloth so both are actually benefited the one who is showing respect he is actually culturing what you culture that you become he is culturing that idea of renunciation and the one to whom show respect he is also getting aware of the fact that he is supposed to behave is supposed to represent a particular ideal in his life or her life so both are actually uplifted in the life of chaitanya mahaprabhu there is a very interesting incident chaitanya mahaprabhu was passing down the street and from the opposite direction a, a washerman with washed cloths this they were all ochre cloths washed ochre cloths was on the back of a donkey and the washerman was taking the donkey most probably to some monastery most probably some monks have uh, given some cloths for washing and after washing all those ochre cloths were on the kept on the back of the donkey and was taken was was on the way to the monastery seeing that donkey with ochre cloths on its back chaitanya mahaprabhu immediately fell flat on the street so that's the real way of showing respect why you are culturing that it is all a subjective thing with that you are actually culturing the idea of renunciation when swami vivekananda uh, was in khetri one day the king of khetri just to show him around was guiding swami ji through a path in the jungle and there were some thorny bushes to get rid of the thorny bushes that they may not uh, injure swami ji he was actually uh, leading the path and removing those thorny bushes with his hands and in the process he was getting lacerated he was getting injured there was some cuts now he is a royal he is a king swami ji was about to object that you shouldn't do that you are the king but swami ji again just thought the thought came that i should stop him but immediately he told he just another thought the contrary thought came what's the contrary thought that no i shouldn't object that's our tradition what a wonderful thing see here the ego is not coming into picture the swami vivekananda sometimes the ego acts in the opposite way if i just say please don't do it if someone is about to bow down and i said don't do it actually the ego is coming into picture then how i think he is doing pranam to me and i am a humble person i don't want actually sometimes ego comes in the garb of humility oh i am i i am so humble please don't do pranam to me but if i would have that attitude that he is after all i am just the context here he is having reverence for the ideal of renunciation he is bowing down to that when he does that i instead of rejecting that or objecting to that pray to the divine that oh lord may his this cultivation of the renunciation in the form of pranam become fruitful in his life so just see then what happens though it may appear that you are not objecting as if you are allowing others to do pranam but you are practicing real humility so here also swami ji was that this was saying that it is a tradition that for ages the king is there to protect the religion the subtle the, the all the sublime ideals of religion so he is doing that through that he is culturing those values let me not go and object it so now you will understand this mudita with punya is a highly significant thing 
when we can practice that it entails calmness of our mind and not only that it enables to uplift the society we think with we nowadays we speak of socialism that all are equal but you will find the so called political socialism makes us equal by dragging us down we don't allow anyone to just rise we all drag down it's just like the socialism of a, a pot full of crabs if you put a lot of crabs in one pot and keep its mouth open know it for certain not a single crab can run away cannot escape why you know that moment the crab one of the crab starts climbing the wall of the pot so that it can go out of the pot the other crabs will hold it down pull it down and that way you will find all of them got get stuck up in the pot none can escape so sometime the political socialism becomes something like that the real socialism here you find in the mudita when you do with the punya you show the reverence to the core of each and every being and that way you also rise make the other people also responsible when you show respect that person also becomes responsible that why others are showing respect most probably i have some responsibility and that makes him responsible he also grows he also is uplifted or she is uplifted and the one who is showing respect they are both are uplifted and that's the real that's the real socialism that's the real uh, what you say that the sameness which comes in the society by moving up not by pulling down so that is mudita with the punya upeksha apunya when i see sin what's the thing i am supposed to practice indifference this is very important again not hatred upeksha means indifference not dvesha i am not hating apunya as very nicely in bible it has been told hate the sin not the sinner i have to be indifferent why in this life know it for certain that hatred is nothing but the negative love what is the negative love the one whom i love i always remember that person if you are in love with someone you will find the thought of that person is always there in your mind whatever you may be doing the thought is always there the same thing happens with one one's uh, the one whom you hate if you hate someone constantly you will be thinking most probably more intensely than the one whom you love and it is a negative way of relating to someone negative way this is just the negative opposite way a negative of love so actually hatred is a negative way of remembering the person constantly and that way what i am doing it is i who am culturing all the negative traits which that person represents and i am hating someone intensely i am thinking of all the uh, crude qualities sinful qualities that person represents i am constantly culturing that's why you will find in the society those who are constantly slandering others trying to find fault in others you will find their own character is very crude unreformed because constantly they are culturing all the negative traits in others so how can the refinement happen in me if i am constantly culturing the negative traits of others so that's why be indifferent don't hate upeksha not dvesha upeksha for apunya if you see anything sinful if any person who is committing some sin don't hate don't go on discussing and finding fault with that person just be indifferent as if you have not seen it at all the indifference can be understood when i am passing through the road you know the persons whom i see most of them are not known to me neither i have sense of love nor i sense of any hatred for them i am just indifferent so when i see apunya that should be my attitude there is a very nice story in our scripture that in vishnu loka vishnu had 
two security guards, Jaya and Vijaya. They were the two security guards of Vishnu. Now, one day the four Kumaras, Sanak, Sanatans, uh, Sanandan and Sanat Kumar. So they are the eternal holy person. They're never any uh, sensual pleasure, this world, the sensitive pleasures of the world never entered their mind. So they were just like small boys, the Kumaras. They were the eternal Kumaras. So they were roaming through all the, uh, what do you say, the locus, the various galaxies. And they had the intense desire to meet Vishnu. They came to Vishnu Loka. So when they came to the Vishnu Loka, so they have to get the permission of the security to enter and meet Vishnu. So now they stopped this Jaya Vijaya. They stopped. They didn't allow. Now the Kumaras were very angry. Now they were very holy soul. As they had that intense desire to meet Vishnu and they were stopped immediately. They, all, they cursed that you are so haughty. You never don't understand who we are and that we have some genuine uh, desire to meet him. Your duty is to stop the unwanted persons, but you are not doing your duty. Even the one who are really desirous to meet him and Lord is also waiting to meet those, those type of devotees, you are stopping them. So you are not uh, up to the duty which you are doing. So for that, you are cursed. What? That you have to be born as human being. You will be uh, demoted from the position which you are now, you'll have to take birth as the humans, or you will have to take birth in the Martha Loka, in the world. Now, in the process now, gradually these two, Jaya and Vijaya, realize that who these four Kumaras, they thought them to be just mere child, children. But now they realized that they are the four Kumaras, the highly exalted soul. And now they started repenting. In the process, Vishnu himself came to the picture and he came to, he immediately realized what has happened. And now when the Jaya and Vijaya was praying to Vishnu to just uh, get rid of the curse, he was praying to Vishnu. Vishnu told no, this, they are very powerful. The curse which has been once pronounced by them, even I cannot take it off, but I can give you a condition. What's the condition? Very interesting. That if you are born as my devotee, then you will have to take seven births. And if you are born as my enemy, then in three births, again, you will come back to this Vaikuntha. In three births, your three human births, your uh, this evil acts will be the, whatever the curse you have incurred, the effect of it will be over. And again, you come back. So what you desire to be my devotee or my enemy. And of course they wanted to come back quickly. So they told, of course we want to be your enemy. So uh, the story goes like that, that in first uh, birth, they were the, this Hiranaksha and Hiranyakashipu. And in the next birth, they were Ravana and Kumbhakarna. And then again, in the third birth, they were Shishupal and uh, Kamsa. So that's the story goes that way. But the intention is very, very interesting that Hatred is something which is more intense even than love. For a devotee, they were required to have seven births. And just by hating the Lord, it's just three words. They will be uh, uh, liberated. So why liberated by hating God? Very nicely in Bhagavatam, it has been told. Yena tena prakarena krishne mano niveshat. By hook or by crook, they're just always thief who is going to steal. He ne never thinks, he or she never thinks of some legal way of stealing. I have to get the thing by hook or by crook. So similarly, to keep my mind on the Lord, on Krishna, yena tena prakarana, anything is allowed. So if by hating, I can intensely think of him, after all, I'm thinking of the Lord. And that thought, just the way if I think of evil, my mind gets perpetuated by the evil things, permeated by them. Similarly, if I think something good, then my mind gets full of holy thoughts. So though out of hatred, I'm thinking of someone who is all good. There is not a single trait of the character 
where, where you can find evil. So naturally what happens that intensifies your spiritual process and they can transcend. The main thing is here that hatred is actually something which intensifies your thought, the negative thoughts and you start culturing it. So the best way to get rid of it is Upeksha to Apunya. If you really see something Apunya, be indifferent as if you have not sinned. So hate the sin, not the sinner. So that the thing which he represents, that should not tarnish me. I have nothing to do with that person. I don't hate that. Swami Vivekananda in one place has told a very wonderful thing. In this life you will find that we all easily see the fault of others. We never see the goodness of others. Very easily. Throughout the life we will see, we can easily see the fault of others. And that's what we are doing. Constantly we are slandering others. Even if you have some good qualities, that never comes to our notice. The reason Swamiji is giving is very wonderful. He says all the weaknesses of the humanity is common to each and every being. Maybe I have some favorable circumstances, so they have not manifested, but it is within me. I also know it very well. All the weaknesses which the humans have is common to the entire humanity. But the goodness, the thing, the good thing which you have inculcated, which you have practiced, which you have cultured, that is something unique to you. That is not in me. So what happens? I can relate something which is common to others. So we can easily find the evil in others because that is common. The goodness in you is not in me. You have cultured through your sadhana. You have cultured, it is not in me. So I cannot relate. So why Swamiji is saying that? That whenever you see fault in others, repent. That still those weaknesses are in you. That's why you see, he used to give a wonderful example. Suppose there is a lump of gold lying on a in, in a table, on the top of a table. And one small child is just roaming in that room where the table is. And some unknown person comes, grabs that block of gold and runs away. The child never realizes that a theft has happened because there is no thief inside that child. It only an elderly person who knows the idea of stealing. The idea of stealing is within him or her. They will shout, oh, it has been stolen. The small child never realizes that it has been stolen. Why? The idea of theft is yet to develop in his mind or her mind. So what is within me that I see outside? So that's the very moment I see sin outside. I should repent that it is within me. I have to take care of that which is within me. I have, I have nothing to do with the one who is demonstrating that. I have to be indifferent to that. So these are the four wonderful practice. If in our day-to-day -day life, we can constantly be aware, as we were saying, that the price of purity is vigilance. How vigilant you are, how vigilant we are at each and every moment of our life. These are the four situations which are constantly we are going through, interacting in our life. This dukkha, sukha, dukkha, punya, punya. And immediately we have to dive within to see what's the attitude which is developing. If it is something negative, if I find that whenever I see others sukha, I feel jealous. If I see others dukha, I have a cruel joy in me. If I see the punya in others, immediately I start thinking, doubting his uh, purity and I start thinking most probably he's a humbug. If I see Apunya immediately I start slandering with an holier than thou attitude that I am the holiest person in the world and everything is unholy with that type of attitude I start slandering. Then know it for certain. Those are the default modes. Those are very obviously those are the attitudes which are bound to come develop in us because of our herd mentality in the process of evolution as a herd, we had those mentality. It served some purpose, but it has nothing to do with our spiritual evolution. We have to get rid of them and we have to develop just the contrary attitudes. Just the way we feel for our near and dear ones, the same way we have to feel for all others. 
and that how it will benefit it will benefit by calming down my chitta my mind it will prepare my my mind for meditation even you will find in the bible jesus is saying a very interesting thing that if you had a fight with your brother and after that you go to the altar to offer something to the divine know it for certain it won't be accepted first go and resolve your fight make peace and then come back so that's the idea that's the basic idea that you cannot think of now in this world the yoga has become what it means for what that i do whatever i want and then i find the ter terrible uh, mental agitation and not only mental agitation it has also started affecting my health i don't take care of all those ways of life and just i think by practicing a few pranayamas a few asanas i will get uh, uh, rid of all the agitations of my mind and i will enjoy good health how can it be it is impossible first those attitudes are very important and then to complement that the yoga asana this once i have taken those basic uh, factors i have taken care of those basic factors then yasana pranayama other things can become effective so now you will find that how important are these four this very basic four attitudes which we have to practice has been spoken of to cleanse our mind to calm down our mind maitri karuna mudita upekshanam sukha dukha punya apunya vishayanam bhavanata chitta prasadana this chitta prasada means calmness prasadana means the calmness of chitta of mind so this is attained by cultivating these four types of attitudes so this has been uh, discussed in this uh, i am not going through this text this thing which i was speaking is being actually indicated in this text then the next sutra indicate as we were telling first we have to take care of attitude then the breathing then the asanas come into picture so the next practice actually is of breathing pranayama is very basic pranayama that with the help of this pranayama you can calm down your mind because your breath and your thoughts are very much interrelated they are like the you know that when you are cycling the way the the more you paddle faster the wheels move faster because they are riveted the paddle is riveted the paddle is uh, riveted with the wheels so similarly the mind is riveted with your breathing with your prana so the when you will find that when you are restless your breathing beco becomes shallow and it becomes irregular when your mind is at peace you will find automatically your breathing has become deep and rhythmic so breath if we take care of our breath then we can control our mind when the mind is highly agitated then by taking by being aware of our breathing the way i am breathing i can gradually calm down the mind so what's the basic breathing practice which has been spoken of here prachardhana vidharana abhyam va pranasya prachardhana means exhaling and vidharana means restraining so they haven't mentioned anything of inhaling means exhale and then restrain for some time automatic inhale will inhaling will happen automatically so exhale in a prolonged way and restrain don't don't restrain forcefully and that exhalation should not be such that you totally empty your lungs there should that exhalation should be very smooth and without uh, force too much of force normally exhale and after that you will find whenever we are breathing there is an interruption natural interruption so the restraint speaks of that not forceful restraining that exhale you should merge in that restraint for short time and then the inhaling happens automatically this is the basic practice which has been spoken of in the 34th sutra which actually in this we will go to the commentary we will find there is some other specific instructions related to that which will calm down your mind so practicing the first thing is first when my mind is agitated immediately i shouldn't try to uh, 
control my mind by resorting to this type of practice. Both the things should be simultaneous. First, to certain extent, I should calm down the mind and then start the breathing practice. Why? When your mind is extremely agitated, you start this type of pranayama. Instead of helping you to calm down the mind, it will actually make your mind more agitated. So you have to practice the, all this breathing, practicing breathing only without attempting uh, to settle the mind would never result in calmness. In fact, if pranayama is practiced without dhyana, the mind instead of becoming calm would become more agitated. So this should complement each other. This should be simultaneously practiced. And now how this the effort by which, which this breath is exerted, followed by the resting of the breath is done in the following steps. What are the steps we have to do? First, the effort should be to exhale slowly, which should be done with the movement of the abdominal muscles only. This is very important. While breathing in, we breathe in with the chest. The chest expands. While breathing out, we shouldn't force the chest. It should be from the abdominal muscles. They should contract and push the diaphragm up. We should be aware when we are exhaling. So the abdominal muscles should be, the, would be contracting and that will enable the diaphragm to move up. And that's how the lungs is squeezed out. Just the way a sponge, a wet sponge, if you want to remove the water, it has to be squeezed. So here also when the lungs is full of air, not only air, because of some uh, toxins, it also gets wet like sponge. We have to remove the toxins and for that breathing out is helps like it, it properly breathing out is actually enables the lungs to squeeze out all those toxins. So there's exhalation, how slowly you should do with the movement of the abdominal muscles so that the diaphragm moves up, squeezing the lungs. Secondly, the effort should be to keep the body still and relaxed. Sometimes you will find that while uh, doing pranayama, to make it more effectively, we start moving the body. No, the body should be relaxed. Only you will have to be aware that the stomach is going down, is moving inside to take the breath out. So the third thing, now it has to do something with your mind. As we told that when you are breathing out, it is not just a physical activity. It's just not breathing out. It has something to do with mental visualization. What you have to do when you're breathing out, think as if you're pronouncing OM. Now that when you're pronouncing OM, that OM merges into that wordless, thoughtless state. Just when you're striking a gong, the sound of the gong you will find gradually merges into silence. So now you have to visualize that the mentally when you are pronouncing OM while you are exhaling, it is a mental pronunciation, not loudly. When you are mentally pronouncing OM while you are exhaling is merging into that soundless, thoughtless state. And along with that, your ego is getting disentangled from the body. Means as if your ego is diffusing, your amnes is no more related only to the body. It is as if moving out. It is just uh, pervading the entire cosmos. So this makes that prachardhana, that exhalation effective, that you're exhaling, mentally thinking of OM, that, go, that OM is going to that state of soundless, thoughtless state where all the thought has stopped and your ego is diffusing. It's no more restricted just to your psychophysical existence. It is just encompassing, encompassing the entire uh, universe. So that's the way you have to breathe out. And now lastly, after that, the restraint, the restraining the breath remained for a while in the vacant state of mind. So while breathing out, gradually I was thinking that the OM is going to that state of soundless, thoughtless state. Now when I'm restraining, the mind should continue in that soundless, thoughtless state. I'm not forcing. It is just going and just staying there for some time. And at the time of the exhalation, the entire volume of the internal ear should not be forced out. You should not force out the entire ear. 
but it has to be done when some residual year remains the exhalation should be reduced and passed on to the retention and when with this practice it can be continued for a long time of without any interruption then the mind gets settled down and the inhalation happens automatically when you have exhaled and after that you have retained the inhalation happens automatically and for that we need not have any effort there shouldn't be any effort for the inhalation why that we shouldn't have any effort for the inhalation that there are some reasons for that we will take up again in the next class to con uh, to continue with the discussion on this very simple pranayama which is very effective which can really calm down the mind when your mind find your find your mind is agitated this simple practice calms down the mind which is a basic preliminary practice which has been spoken of in the yoga sutra so with this we stop our discussion we will continue with this sutra again in the next class good night swami ji namaskar 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 swami ji गेरुआ So that's why you fell flat to respect yeah. to show. Just seeing the guru clothes, immediately that uh, that sense of reverence came for the idea of renunciation. He fell flat. Yeah, I was thinking that, or maybe it's because of the karma. Okay, ah. thank you. Now I was thinking, but I wanted to be sure. Yes. Namaskar. Namaskar, Swami Ji. Hi, Namaskar, Swami Ji. Namaskar, Namaskar. Namaskar, Swami Ji. Hi.